0: Okay, so Stacey, welcome back. Glad to be here. What's the topic of today?
1: Today we're gonna be discussing probably my other favorite love, which is travel. And Ali, I know we're in extraordinary times, so I do think we want to caveat this episode at the very top that while you and I both love to travel, unfortunately, The world is in lockdown, borders are closed, so everyone is unable to travel and we recognize how important it is to stay at home. So we're very mindful of the no travel rule, but that isn't stopping us from daydreaming about when we can take our next holiday.
0: Exactly, add this to the bucket list.
1: Yes, we have a very, very long list going, whether it's going to different restaurants, which we discussed in episode two, and now we've got our travel bucket list going for episode
0: three. Yes, exactly. I was thinking that maybe we can start by giving some perspective because maybe not everyone knows where Singapore is. Singapore is a very small island, usually called the Red Dot, and it's located somewhere very near Malaysia, Indonesia. This is very much in the equator line. So it's always hot. Doesn't look like there's seasons here at all.
1: Yeah, I still sometimes have trouble finding Singapore on the map, embarrassingly enough, even though I've lived here for two years. And I will say, Ali, I'm sure this was a huge benefit for you. And and at least it was a big reason why I moved to Singapore was, yes, the rumors are true. People who live in Singapore travel all the time. Uh, Before coronavirus hit the world, I was probably traveling at least once a month to various destinations, all within like a two hour flight radius because there are just so many countries and really interesting destinations that you can get to very quickly and very cheaply.
0: Yeah, exactly. From my end, I actually ran out of pages in my passport. I was due to get a new one, but then coronavirus appeared and now I'm waiting for the embassy to reopen to continue doing that.
1: That is such a humble brag. I absolutely love it. And the good and bad thing about that is, yes, you get to go to so many fascinating places. The hard part is, Ale, and I think you and I experienced this as well, was it's really hard to see your friends. Yeah. Because everyone's always traveling.
0: In fact, the solution we found was to create a Google Calendar where everyone will input their travel dates. And then we could see when people were in the country to meet.
1: Yes. And sometimes those trips still pop up. And I get a little bit sad because, you're not going to Germany, or other friend isn't traveling to Australia anymore. But once the world opens up again, I'm sure we'll be back on planes. And I can't wait to get back to Changi Airport, that's Singapore's only real airport actually. And uh, people always ask, which is kind of funny, they go, are you traveling via the international or domestic terminal? And I remind them, well, there's only one airport, so every flight you take is international. But never fear, Even international flights out of Changi Airport are the most efficient flights you will ever take. If I get to the airport more than 45 minutes before my flight, I get really bored and annoyed because I've spent too much time in the airport. Singaporeans are so efficient and Changi is probably the best
0: representation of that. There's a pool in Changi Airport. My parents have swam while waiting for their flight back to Argentina
1: it's absurd it's they've got this beautiful indoor waterfall it's actually a destination i think TripAdvisor lists changi airport as one of the top 10 places to visit in singapore i don't know if i necessarily agree with that but it is definitely a spectacle and if you have a few minutes and are not as cut it close type mantra as i am i would definitely go to changi to visit the butterfly garden or look at the different exhibits or make sure you pick up those last-minute souvenirs for your family before you head home.
0: I think this especially hits you when you spend many, many hours in, a, in another airport and then you reach Changi and you remember like what it's like to be good. Absolutely. Changi spoils us for sure. For sure. Okay, so, so we're, we're talking about travel, right? And Stacey, I think you travel a lot for fun as well. And I'm very curious to ask you about experiences you may have had in your travels. So, how should I ask you?
1: Well, I think... Every traveler is different. Some people love more of the beach vibe where they don't want to do anything and just unwind and relax. Others are much more of the go, go, go adventure type where their itineraries are jam packed. So, Ollie, I know we were supposed to travel just last month together, uh, but we had to cancel that trip. That was a beach vacation. But are you open to exploring other destinations or should we start with a relaxing getaway?
0: I think we should start with the beach. That's the best.
1: All right, and it is May. So I guess we are approaching summer, though we really don't have seasons in Singapore. But yeah, a nice summer getaway sounds fantastic. So one of my favorite beach vacations that I went to was actually last year in August. Uh, That's when it's Singapore National Day. So we got two days off and I decided to take the entire week off to go to Fiji. And Fiji is probably the ideal beach vacation because it's actually an archipelago made up of 300 islands so you can have your pick of super remote destinations or you can go to the main island and even around there you have unbelievable crystal clear blue waters and for myself who loves the scuba dive I have an advanced scuba diving certification it was like a kid in a candy store. I got to scuba dive and see so many different marine life, fish and species that I had never seen before. And the world famous destination is actually on the big island where you can feed sharks. And I'm not talking about cage diving where you're protected by metal bars with sharks chomping at you. I'm talking about direct feeding sharks dead fish with only a sort of rock formation barrier between you and the sharks. And that was quite possibly the scariest thing I've ever done in my entire life, but I would do it again in a heartbeat. So definitely an adrenaline rush for people wanting a very
0: unique vacation. Like, hold up a second. So two questions. Number one, how do you end up saying, you know what, I'm gonna go visit the sharks and feed them. And number two, what is this advanced certification? Like what's the normal one?
1: So I know we talked about wanting a relaxing beach vacation. So maybe I will try to self feed on that, not the scary shark feeding. Um, the beaches are the quintessential picturesque white sand beaches with sparkling water. So bright, it'll, it'll blind you at 12 noon when the sun is shining overhead. So you can go to pretty much any beach in Fiji and you get the relaxing beach vacation that you've always dreamed of. So that is unequivocally one of the best parts of Fiji. The second part is scuba diving. So a lot of people who love the ocean and wanna see more marine life, it's hard to necessarily see a bunch of fish and coral and other sea life at the surface, so you have to keep diving deeper, but rather than keep resurfacing for air, you scuba dive. So you've got a big tank of oxygen strapped to your back, and then you can stay in the water for anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes, depending on how deep you are and how good you are at breathing steadily and conserving air. With that said, it's actually quite a dangerous sport. Because of balancing pressure and you're dealing with oxygen, so different gases, you need to really know what you're doing not to scare people or deter people from learning to scuba dive. People die annually by not heeding the rules, um, ascending too fast or running out of air or your gear under the water malfunctions. So you must take this activity very seriously. And there are certain international standards that you must adhere to and take a test to pass. It's actually a classroom test where you need to know the rules and understand more of the logic behind scuba diving and the science as i mentioned and then there's the practical test where you're doing a lot of these simulations in water so now that i am certified i can actually go dive all around the world and it is actually one of the main factors i consider when determining where to go for my beach vacations
0: wow you really sound like you're certified Uh, so wait wait. so i I, just to like understand a bit more so could you like break down in very high level what's a day like when you go uh diving like what's what's the full day like how long it takes how long preparation all that
1: yeah so it's it's entirely up to you how many dives you want to do per day typically you start early just I don't know what it is, but I think scuba divers are early birds, which I am not, but I get used to it. Like what? Um, sunrise. I usually try to go for a sunrise dive because that's when the marine life are just starting to wake up and you get a totally different experience in the morning versus in the afternoon. Currents are very different. So you want to have actually strong currents. So You want to be a pretty capable swimmer um, because the currents enable the life to move around, so you actually can see more and more fish versus calmer waters, everyone's sleeping, more dormant, and you can't see as many creatures as you would like. So you go out into a boat, you have to typically get on a small little motorboat and go as far from the coast as you can. These guides will typically take you. I've never scuba dived by myself, nor would I ever. I 100% trust my life to these scuba diving instructors. A lot of them have hundreds, if not thousands of dives. So all you have to do is descend with them and follow their lead. Because if I had to do this by myself, I would definitely get lost out in the middle of the ocean and probably never return to shore, much to my parents' dismay. So after you go out to the middle of the ocean, you start descending. You have weights strapped around you. And so you sink to the bottom of the ocean Um, all the way trying to unplug your ears and pop your ears so you don't have the pressure squeezing your brain too tightly. So there's a lot of coordination happening. I think that's the part that freaks people out a lot, um, let alone learning to breathe underwater and being natural and not hyperventilating while you're down there. But once you've sorted all those things out, Ale, I promise it is so worth it. You are literally in a different world. I mean, we're on their turf and you realize how like a fish out of water, pun intended, you are because this is their home. We are the intruders getting to marvel at how stunning their habitats are. You see coral and fish with neon colors that you didn't think could possibly exist on the rainbow. And I will switch to the shark feeding aspect. You realize how vulnerable you are and how flimsy the human body is and in danger of being consumed by predators that are much larger than you. So I love scuba diving because it's also a very humbling experience. And every time you dive, it's an entirely new scenery. And it reminds me of how much bigger the oceans are, how much bigger this ecosystem is, and just what a tiny little speck we human beings are.
0: Wow, that's like fascinating. And I I always think of the quote that people know more about the moon than the, depths of the ocean so i think there's a lot to explore it is absolutely true cool 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 definitely okay so i think we 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 have a good picture of what a, a nice let's say interesting outing to the beach can be like including scuba diving actually i like all the details you provided about that but let's say now we're gonna go back to society we're gonna go back to history and culture and we're trying to change countries also so where could we visit
1: that's a tough one because there are so many wonderful, bustling cities around this region, Ali, and I know you've been to many of them, so I'd love to hear your thoughts as well. But of the eight ASEAN countries, A-S-E-A-N, so the Southeast Asian nations, that there are eight that comprise the ASEAN Alliance, I'd have to say Vietnam as a country is my favorite. I've been lucky enough to go back several times, some for work, some for fun, and I have to say, Hanoi, the capital, and Hoi An, which is a city in the middle of Vietnam, whose old town is also a UNESCO World Heritage Site, are my absolute two favorite cities in Vietnam.
0: Okay, so what what makes you say that, and in what sense are your favorites?
1: The Vietnamese people, and I'm obviously positively generalizing, are so incredibly friendly. They still have their preserved heritage in a way that I think a lot of other Southeast Asian countries have not because they're so dependent on tourism and are willing to do anything to modify their culture in order to cater to Westerners and to tourists. Whereas in, I'll start with Hanoi, there is this beautiful blend of French influence as well as Eastern influences. As Vietnam used to be a French colony, you get the French influence in their food. Vietnam has some of the world's best baguettes. I'm sure that's a sacrilegious statement if you ever talk to a French person, but they're baked goods and their cuisine is, in my opinion, unparalleled. And Hanoi has this hustle and bustle, but tranquility at the same time. So if you ever go to a street in Hanoi, you have to be aware of hundreds of scooters or mopeds zooming by. And it's, this, it's almost like this little dance where you have to be super confident and cross the street at a steady pace without slowing down or stopping abruptly. Because if you do, scooters do not know how to handle you. It's almost like that scene in the Disney Mulan movie where the old grandma just covers her eyes, crosses the street, and trusts in her fellow stranger not to run her over. And I think that's a perfect metaphor for life in Vietnam where things are so crazed and hectic and yet all just flows. And that is a lifestyle that I had never encountered before. And I absolutely love that pace of life whenever I go to Hanoi. And now Hoi An, which is a much smaller city, has incredible food as well. The baguettes that I mentioned, there's the best banh mi place Super small stall. Um, It's really, really cheap. I think it's like $1.50 USD for one of the best sandwiches. So banh mi is a pork sandwich with pickled carrots and radishes sliced very finely with cilantro, all smashed between the freshest, lightest, yet crunchy baguette you've ever had. There's one world famous place that the late Anthony Bourdain, may he rest in peace, profiled on his show, and it is just top-notch. In fact, I would I can't plug that Anthony Bourdain episode enough because he says Vietnam is one of his favorite places in the world, if not his favorite, and I 100% agree with him. So go for the food, go for the culture, and in particular, Hoi An, go for the history. It is this beautiful, quaint town that has a rainbow of colors because they have these lanterns that light up at night. And the last ringing endorsement for Hoi An and Hanoi as well, is they have probably hundreds and hundreds of tailors that will make custom designed clothes for you at a fraction of the price that you would get at some of the big box stores in the US.
0: Have you ever gotten anything done from them?
1: Oh yes. People who know me, a lot of times when they compliment a dress that I'm wearing, or they ask where I got a certain blouse. More often than not, my response is, oh, I got this custom made in Hoi An. I'm not exaggerating when I say a third of my closet is clothes that I got designed to fit perfectly tailored to my body in Hoi An. And for men, you can probably get a three-piece suit for maybe 100 USD. And for ladies, you can get a dress modeled after Neiman Marcus, or anthropology for 40 USD. And it looks like it came straight off the runway because it is
0: designed perfectly for you. Wow, that sounds amazing. So so what's roughly like the turnaround rate? Like since the moment you enter the shop till the moment you're wearing it, what happens in between how long it takes?
1: You can enter the shop and 48 hours later, you come out with the finished product. And in between then, Ali, you actually do need to remain close to the shop because they like to do alterations to make sure they get it just right. So within the 48-hour period, you're probably frequenting the shop another two to three times, depending on how meticulous you want to be. Because I've gone to Hoi An so many times, I actually go back to the same tailor, so I don't need to do as frequent trips in between. But it is the best way to feel like a rich person. (laughs) Not only can you get clothes made, you can get shoes made. I've gotten a custom leather backpack made. Uh, When I went with my ex-boyfriend the first time, we bought so many clothes, we had to get a leather bag made just so we could fit everything onto the plane on our way
0: home. That sounds amazing, really rich.
1: (laughs) It is super fun, and you don't even have to have a ton of money. But you could pretend like you have Boku Bucks and get an entirely new
0: wardrobe made. Wow. Okay. So it sounds like that's that's kind of fun, and I think you also mentioned that there's like a lot of like French heritage, and and I, I only been to Hanoi, and I was really shocked in a positive way also by the friendliness of people, uh, people sit like sitting around in these very low high chairs that I found a bit uncomfortable, but it has to do with the Asian squatting capabilities, which I don't have. I don't know if you do. Well, you're also like over six feet
1: tall, Ollie, so I'm sure that presents its own challenges. Nope, I'm barely 5'1 on a good day and I still can't get the Asian squat right, so I feel you. But the food on the side of the street more than makes up for it and I'm willing to sit at any odd angle necessary. And as you can judge from episode two, I'm a huge, huge foodie, I love Pretty much all types of food. I don't think I've ever encountered something that I didn't like until I went to Vietnam and I tried the balut egg. The what? So the balut egg is a half fertilized chicken egg. So when you eat it, you actually see some of the bird, you get some of the no. cartilage and the bones and sometimes even a little bit of feather with the egg. And I am of the mindset that I have to try everything once It was the first and last time I will ever eat balut egg. But everything else in Vietnam is stupendous in terms of food. So I hope that doesn't deter our listeners.
0: Okay, wow. Okay, so I think this is a great ending argument for the the trip to, to Vietnam. And it's a very traditional ASEAN country, like you said. I mean, we've been to the beach and like relax and swim with the sharks. <laughs> we even been to Hanoi and get to know its culture and some of its food as well. So now let's say we want to do some adventure, some walking around, hiking, some discovery. What would you recommend?
1: Yes. So for all of my outdoorsy adventurous friends, I also probably have a recency bias, but my favorite place so far to have visited while living in Singapore has been New Zealand. So in January, for the Lunar New Year holiday, two girlfriends and I went to the South Island of New Zealand right before coronavirus was hitting the world. So it was our last vacation before the world shut down and we wanted to go big. I have a massive, petrifying fear of heights but my two adventurous girlfriends insisted that we go bungee jumping. Because New Zealand is the birthplace of bungee jumping in Queenstown, New Zealand. And for days leading up to the trip, I would have nightmares. I'd wake up in a cold sweat because I said, I really, really, really don't wanna do this. But again, I'll try anything once. So we ultimately did go bungee jumping and it was the most exhilarating experience When you're falling off of that bridge, the world just freezes and your mind is absolutely in a time standstill until you have to snap out of consciousness because we jumped off a bridge towards a river. As the water is speeding closer and closer towards you, you need to be ready to hold your breath because I actually plunged straight into the river and that snapped me back to consciousness, not to mention the whiplash from the rope, and I was hooting and hollering and spinning, and the world just became this blur of blue and green and brown watercolors, and it is a feeling unlike anything I've ever had before, and I would absolutely do it again. In fact, I immediately looked up other bungee jumping places, and I think that's going to be a determining marker of the next holiday that I go on.
0: Okay, okay, so let, let's, let's focus on this. So break down the preparations and the after of the bungee jumping. Like, how was it like?
1: So I loved this bungee jumping because it was so picturesque. It wasn't uh, off some giant concrete building or anything like that. We were in the middle of nature. We got to hang out and relax on the bridge. It allowed me to be a little bit more zen before potentially leaping to my death. And my girlfriends were super, super supportive. They let me go first because I said, there is no way I could watch both of them jump off a bridge and then subsequently do it. So I insisted on going first. So you scooch over to the edge of the bridge. The friendly man tries to distract you, asking questions about what you're excited about, where are you from. In the meantime, I'm just trying to respond politely yet curtly through gritted teeth as he ties and binds my feet together so tightly that it's pretty much inescapable. And so once you're all harnessed up, you have to sort of shuffle to the ledge, and then when they give you the countdown, you have to just fall straight as a board, off the bridge, and the weightlessness feeling in your stomach just seizes your entire body, and you're falling for a solid two to three seconds in midair, weightless, until I actually plunged into the water, most people don't touch the water, and then you spring up and then you probably get a few good four bounces until you're just hanging there and they get to rescue you out to land again and you're so grateful to be back on land.
0: Did you hang around after you jumped and see other people jump?
1: Yes, well I definitely was supportive of my two friends. so took videos of them and it's it's funny it's actually a tourist destination for people even if they're not jumping so people go just to watch the crazy daredevils jumping off a
0: bridge did you see anyone who wasn't willing to jump was actually heartbreaking
1: there was a little boy I would say about 13 years old who was all strapped in and then he just couldn't jump and so they had to take off the rope from his feet and he just left with his family in absolute tears and I said okay I can't do that. I must jump. So once my feet were bound, there was no turning back. Wow, that's so exciting. It was super fun. And if bungee jumping is not your thing, no worries. There are plenty of other activities in New Zealand that we also enjoyed, such as paragliding. So racing off the cliff and hoping the parachute catches the wind and you start soaring across the island and have incredible views. Again, if heights is not your thing, I realize I just mentioned something that probably sounds a little bit
0: terrifying still. Yeah, I was just thinking like, are you like a secret agent? (laughs) Like when I go to these places, you know, I consider walking to be entertaining and you're taking this to the next level, you know?
1: Well, for hikers such as yourself, Ollie, there are some very, very stunning hikes. So Milford Sound, they brand themselves as the eighth wonder of the world. It feels like you're almost in Avatar the movie because there's this misty haze, over several lush mountains and you're typically on a boat ride, sailing through these giant hills where it feels like you're going to see some otherworldly species pop out and scare you at any moment. But you actually only see seals and creatures that you're typically familiar with, penguins, that sort of snap you back to reality. But it has this very eerie but beautiful quality about it. So I would highly recommend going to Milford Sound, doing the boat trip, and then there's these gorgeous hikes called Key Summit and a bunch of other destinations that we can add to the show notes. And many of them range from two to six hours depending on which paths you take. So it's entirely up to you to choose your own adventure.
0: Wow, I think that this really paints a picture of a huge variety of entertainment through traveling that's possible from Singapore. And I'm just like shocked to hear that this is just three countries. There's so many more that are um, at arm's reach from Singapore, just one or two or three hours away. Perhaps New Zealand's a bit further out because you usually have to fly to Australia first, but still, it's, it's still a day trip. Absolutely.
1: And I would go back to any of these three destinations in a heartbeat. In fact, I can't wait to go revisit once we open up, as well as many of the other places that we've been to while living here in Singapore.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think since we're still in the topic of New Zealand, I would like to mention that when I did the Queen Charlotte Track, which is near Picton, which is in the South Island as well, And the mistake I made was that I didn't realize how early it gets dark in wintertime. So, although the weather was lovely, around 5 p.m. in the deep of the woods, it starts to get slowly dark so our nice and enjoyable walk became a marathon for survival because we had no flashlight and we were due to get a boat to take us back to safety and we literally ran for hours it felt like the lower the rings situation where there's just like running in open fields that was us running with our stuff worried about not reaching our boat in time so i would really say it was beautiful and lovely, but really be mindful of how fast you really walk. You want to take time to really enjoy the place as well. And at the same time, make sure you have plenty of daylight so you maximize your trip.
1: Wow, definitely a pro tip. But now you have a very memorable vacation, Ollie.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. It's the kind of stuff that you hate it while it's happening, but you know it's going to be a good story later on. And you live to tell the tale, so all's well that ends well. Yeah, precisely. Okay, so I think that for today we cover a lot of ground. I think we covered beach destination, including some scuba diving tips. We discuss about culture and history and food in, in the city of Hanoi and Hoi An. And finally, we talked about bungee jumping and other super fun adventures in New Zealand. Uh, this Is this all near the area of...
1: It's near Queenstown. So Queenstown on the South Island. So I would highly recommend flying in and out of there. And actually, it is a big road tripping area. So if you are not comfortable driving on the left side of the road it may make things a bit challenging but that's half of the fun of the adventure
0: i think that this covers mainly what we had for this episode of today do you have anything else to say stacy
1: i mean i've got plenty of things to say ali so we might need to make travel another episode very very soon but for now hopefully these three destinations spark your imagination and give you something to look forward to after the world opens up again
0: definitely so let's bookmark this one And stay tuned for our next episode. We don't know when it's coming, but soon you will reach your podcast. So thank you for listening, everyone. And please uh, give us some more comments as you have been doing. And we look forward to being with you soon. See you next time. Cheers. Bye-bye.